So today we are taking a look at the many Marys in Scripture. We're not going to take a deep dive well, into any of them, um, only look at a few of them in particular. But as we do so, we're going to turn to uh, one of the passages where one is mentioned, Mary Magdalene. So we're at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Soon afterwards, he, meaning Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil, thing, evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward Chusa, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their resources." When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, names are important, they're significant, and there are seasons in life, as, as Minu mentioned earlier, that certain names tend to have more popularity than other seasons of life or other times, of, or other decades, other eras. It seems now with, I don't know if we're, I don't know if it's because social media or paying more attention or we move different places, we don't live in the same town we grew up in, we, we have fewer, um, the top names have a much smaller number than they did 50 years ago. 50 years ago, by the way, was 1972, if you're counting, that's math. And uh, growing up in the 70s, the most popular names were Michael and Jennifer. Those are the most popular names. And those, and by a large margin, now we get, you get different names. And you might go, I, I knew a so-and-so, I'm not going to name my kid a so I didn't like so-and-so. Or there are three of those already in the, in the church nursery. We're not adding another one in there. Well, Mary is, has been one of those names. And I think all the way up until the 1950s. Looking back, I was looking back at uh, numbers of names and when they were popular. As far back as, 19, as 1880, Mary was the most popular women's name. And by like a huge margin. There was a, um, a tally of names from 1920 to 2020, and just the most popular names over that course of 100 years, and for women, it was Mary, and that one was twice more than the next. There was, uh, after that was Patricia. By the way, Patricia never ran, ra- rose to the top, but was always steady all the way through, so it, does, it pays to be second sometimes, it's all right. But Mary has been a popular name, and it was a popular name in Jesus' day. And Jesus was the popular male name. Jesus' name means he saves. The people of Israel were living in an, in occupied territory. 
they were looking for a savior. They were looking to be out of their circumstances. So they were naming their sons out of their hope. The name Mary is the derivative of Miriam. You mentioned that earlier. And it, that name means bitter. They were, seemed to be naming their daughters out of their current circumstances because of the bitterness of their time, of their days. So we encounter many Marys in Scripture. And they, all their stories have something different to tell us. Now, some of them we just know in a mention. Um, the one who has the briefest mention is Mary of Rome. Uh, she was in a church of Rome, but she was a significant part of that church for Paul to mention her and to bring her, her name up. And that was a church that had a very pivotal role in the church beyond, beyond Scripture. It was the launching place for the next generation of the church, for it was the center of the empire, not just the center of the region. It was the center of the empire. So she played a pivotal role in the life of that church for Paul to mention her. We, uh, we know the name of, of uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about her, but we do know she was at the foot of Jesus, Jesus with, with uh, the mother Mary and Mary Magdalene. She was the other Mary um, that went with Mary Magdalene to the tomb of Jesus. So she has a couple of mentions. We have, the, we have Mary, the mother of John Mark. Not only did she open her home for, as a meeting place, and we read about her in the book of Acts, she's the mother of the author of the gospel according to Mark. He dropped John later on because apparently there were a lot of Johns, so he just had to distinguish it. I don't know that to be true, but, um, but he dropped that name just to be Mark. And then we get to, the, to three more, to the other three. Let's look first at Mary of Bethany. Mary is the mother, uh, not mother, she's the sister of Martha and Lazarus. This is a family that Jesus was really close to for, for exactly what reason we don't know. Um, they seem to be in, have been orphaned because they live together and there's no mention of their parents. And that one story where Martha is taking care of the people who are listening to Jesus and Mary's not doesn't mention mom or an aunt or anybody uh, similarly doing something. So they, they, were, they were their family. They were their family unit of the time. And they were, they seemed to be, and when I read their story, they seemed to be home to Jesus. You know, have you ever had somebody like you're on the, you might go wherever and you might travel from place to place. And you might even have a, a, an address where your mail goes to, but there's just some places that are home. When I read their story, when I read their, their relationship, it just feels like home to me for Jesus. Now, I think he had lots of homes, but there seems to be a significant part of his life when he gathers with them. He gathers with them to teach, and it was assumed as he was getting ready to turn from teaching to going to, the, to Jerusalem for the crucifixion for the last time, when they announced to Jesus, that they got word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and dying, that they had just assumed that he was going to drop everything to go to heal him. To heal him. He didn't do it the way that they expected. He did it in a much more spectacular fashion, but he still went. He still went and brought Lazarus, not out of sickness to health, but from death to life. We see that close relationship that Jesus had with Mary and that whole family. 
What do we learn from Mary's story? What was her witness? What was her example to the world and to us about her faith in Christ, her understanding of who Jesus was? Um, friend, right? Friend. I, I see that in that relationship, that, that home feeling of friend. She also saw Jesus as master, as teacher, as rabbi. Mary Magdalene is going to use that word, but she, Mary of Bethany, understands that word. That's another way of understanding, distinguishing who she is, by the way. Mary of Bethany, um, just because that's the town in which they live. Um, she sat at Jesus' feet while he taught. He taught. He was teaching, and, and most times it was the men who were sitting and the women who were doing, but she sat and she learned and she listened. He was her teacher and friend. Mary's example, I think, teaches us in many ways that sometimes it is better to be still and know God rather than to be busy about the things that we think we should be busy about, even if they're good things. Sometimes there are people who feel connected to Martha's story, and they, and they feel like it's as a, um, a judgment on their life and how they do. And, and I don't read it as that. There are things to do. There are always things to do, and sometimes those things are necessary. And it's really hard time to know when to put aside the, the good thing to undertake the better thing. It's hard work. And sometimes we're so caught up in the doing the good thing that we forget the better thing. But, Mar uh, but Mary, in that moment, she understood what the better thing was to do. Jesus even says of her, she chose the good part. I think one of the things also we learn in, 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 her, that, in that part of her story is that it's important to sit with God and just listen. You can listen as you read Scripture. Wesley, John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism, he doesn't say to read Scripture. He says, search the Scripture. I love that phrase. Read the Bible as if you expect to encounter the living God. It's not just words on a page, not just a history lesson, but it's an encounter with the three-in-one to search the scripture. We can listen for God in prayer. Lots of times we fill our prayer lives with words, whether they're spoken out loud or inside our heads, but we just fill them with words and then we just, and then we say, thank you, God, amen, and then we're done. But God invites us into that, to that moment of, it's a, I think of it as a holy conversation. And no good conversation is meant to be one-sided. We give God space to speak into our hearts and our lives in prayer. You might call it meditation. And some people distinguish between meditation and prayer. But I think they're, they're awfully connected. And sometimes our prayer times are so silent in our heads that it maybe just feels like meditation because all we're doing is sitting and listening. Other times they do get pretty one-sided, and, and that's okay too. But the best conversations are when we make room to listen for God. And how do we grow in those deep relationships? Those relationships that turn a house into a home that may not even be the place where we lay our head or the mail goes to. It's by 
by being uh, connected and listening and, and communicating with one another beyond words. Our, letting our whole lives speak into the lives of others. I think that's one of the things we can learn from Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany is also the one that later on after Lazarus has been raised from the dead, she's pretty excited about that, it seems, because she takes a jar of very expensive perfume and just pours it all over Jesus' feet. Just anoints his feet. And the disciples don't really know what to do with it. Judas in particular who we learn in that moment, this is, this is where we get a, a glimmer of that Judas is maybe not the one that we think he should be because he's upset about her pouring the perfume on Jesus' feet. But, and then they tell us in that moment, John tells us in that moment, that he's the one that looked after the common person. He was taken a little bit off the top, maybe off the bottom too. I don't know. So we learn that in that moment, but it still catches them all off guard enough. But that in her understanding of the person of Jesus beyond friend, beyond teacher. This is why Jesus is more than just a, a someone to go to the Bible and learn a good lesson from. He is God incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us. And in that moment, she celebrates the divinity within him. That poured through him. She hasn't seen the crucifixion nor the resurrection yet. But something in her says, this is the one whom we should anoint, whom we should expect to save us. From Mary of Bethany, we go on to Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala, that's the town she was from. <clears throat> we know of her, we first meet her when she is, has, well, we understand her as having those demons cast from her, seven demons. She's possessed of them. We don't know what form or nature that necessarily took, what it looked like, but Jesus cast them out. We also understand that she had to have some means, uh, resources available to her because she and those other two women that we just heard about in Luke 8 provided for the disciples as they were with them in that town. She had some means. If she was wealthy, don't know if she was wealthy, but she had access to some funds and there was, there was not much middle class to speak of in those days. So she was able to care for them. She had, been, she had been healed of that demon possession, and it seemed that her gratitude filled her so completely that she became a complete and faithful disciple of Jesus, followed him wherever he was, followed him all the way to the cross, to the tomb, and came back on that third day to, to, to take care of the body, of the corpse that remained, because he didn't have time to do that when he was laid to, to, um, laid to rest because it was the beginning of the Sabbath. They had to wait for that third day. She goes with the other Mary, Mary, mother of Corp, Mary of Corpus, to go anoint him, and then they find the tomb is empty. And she be becomes... In that moment, in that overall story, the first proclaimer of the good news. She's the first preacher of the resurrection. Because when Jesus is made known to her and, and he says, she doesn't recognize him, she says his name. This is a story, if you you've probably you hear it almost every Easter most likely, if you've been in church on Easter Sunday. 
But she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. He says her name. I, 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 say that I preach this story at least once a year, and I still get goosebumps when I think about it. He says her name. She recognizes him. She calls him Rabboni, another word for uh, master, teacher. It's a derivative of rabbi. And then she goes and tells the disciples what she's seen. Peter and, and John had seen the empty tomb and ran back to tell the other disciples that he wasn't there, but she saw the risen Savior first and went and told them, and they were still ended up hiding out in that room waiting for him to appear to them later on. But she's the first witness and the first preacher of the resurrection of Christ. Mary easily could have received her healing from Jesus of the demons and then just gone and lived her life. She could have done that. Many of us receive pretty neat things in life and we just receive them like that's pretty neat and we just keep moving on as if, as if it, it may have changed our life in that moment, but there, whoever affected that change, thank you very much, but that's it, you're done. But her life became a testimony to her gratitude for what Jesus had done in her life, for her life. And by extension, everybody who she knew. Mary's life calls us to gratitude in the midst of the blessings that Jesus pours out onto us. Mary's life also calls us again to sit in the presence of of God, sit in the presence of the mysteries of God even. While Mary of Bethany was sitting at the teaching of Jesus' feet, Mary of Magdalene, Mary Magdalene was sitting in the mystery of what had just happened. She wondered what happened. She didn't expect this to happen. She wasn't sitting in the midst of, of divinity, or at least not that she was aware of it, but she still sat, even in the midst of not knowing, of not understanding, in the midst of her grief, and in the midst of that, still encountered the living God. Sometimes we're in the midst of our unknown. We're in the midst of our questions and doubts. We're in the midst of our, our, our hardships and hurts. But God still calls us just to sit. To sit in the midst of them and wait on him to reveal himself to us in whatever manner in which he desires. Oftentimes it's it's the voice or the face of another. Sometimes he makes himself known to us in more direct ways as well. And then we come to mom. Jesus' mom, Mary. We don't know a whole lot about her background. We know she's of the tribe of Judah, which puts her in the line of David. And Jesus, the, the Messiah, was to come from the line of David. They make sure that we understand that they've got both ends covered because Joseph is too. But, they, but we know, we have to know that Mary is as well from the line of David. She lived in Nazareth before her marriage to Joseph. We, we hear her conversation. We're really... <laughs> Well, it's pretty one-sided conversation. She gets a couple words in, but with the angel Gabriel talking about the birth of the Messiah, of the Christ, of Jesus. We know of Mary's connection to her extended family with her cousin Elizabeth, whose husband was a priest at the temple. And how the baby in Elizabeth's womb affirmed the Messiah 
growing in Mary's womb? We know that Mary, um, in Mark chapter 6, we read that she has other children. James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and then there were unnamed daughters as well. And we also know that though it broke her to her core, she followed her son that day of his crucifixion. doesn't say it outright, but I imagine she followed him all along the Via Della Rosa, all the, the street, the way of suffering, all the way from his scourging, from his suffering, as he carried the cross to, the, to Golgotha. And we know she stood at the foot or sat at the foot of it with others. Which is where Jesus makes John her son, puts him in charge of his mother, makes him a part of the greater family as well. And then also we see her in the early church gathered with them to pray. The cross isn't the end of her story. We see that. She continues to be a part of this. It's one of the ways I know that this story is true. Who knows us best? Our mamas know us best in many ways. At least in a family this close. Mama's not going to be a part of a church of me knowing me. My mama's not. I don't think most of ours would. But she's a part of the early church, encouraging them, but also participating in the, with them. All throughout Scripture, we see blessings come. Gabriel says to Mary, she's going to have this great blessing. But you know what always comes with blessings in the Bible? It's not just a gift that you get to use however you want and woo! Always blessings come with responsibility. Every single time. And sometimes those responsibilities are tough. Mary's was really tough. She knew it would be tough right away because she wasn't married yet. And she knew her village, she knew Nazareth was going to have a really hard time with that. She knew Joseph. She took a chance knowing that Joseph would likely let her go, cut her loose. And she would be raising this child on her own because her family would have to put her out too. She knew immediately that this blessing was going to have with it challenges, hardships. And I don't know if the song is accurate. Mary, did you know? I think she did know most of that. But, she, but whether or not she knew, her hardship continued all throughout Jesus' earthly existence. That blessing, that blessing and responsibility carried her. Or she carried both of those. Our lives are filled with blessings. But they're also meant to be a responsibility. Just as we, we read about in Abraham's story when God tells Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation so that as you are blessed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. We are blessed so that we may be blessings to others. That's a part of the, that's part of the life of, with God. That's part of this, this connection of community, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That as we experience the blessings of faith and of life, we are meant to use them on God's behalf to be blessings to others.
Spider-Man's Uncle Ben didn't have it wrong. With great power comes great responsibility. That's a comic book connection for later on, maybe. And I don't know if they intended that from, from reading the Bible, but it is certainly in Scripture. Other thing I think we can learn from Mary's story is humble obedience. Humble obedience. She knew what was coming. She knew the blessing was coming. She knew the hardships were coming with it, and she still said yes. She maybe didn't feel like she had a choice, but she leaned into it, certainly. But that's why God came to her in the first place, because she was humbly obedient to God's will and God's way and continues to be so. Sometimes our, our obedience means that we are upfront and, and sometimes loud. Other times it means we're in the background serving quietly. Mary has a little bit of a both, but most of it's in the background. She is definitely a supporting cast member, but oh boy, does she support. There are a lot that we can learn from, from these women, from these Marys and truthfully all the women in Scripture. They lived in a day and time where for the most part they were um, at best second-class citizens. Yet they still heard the call of God through Jesus Christ to follow and to serve. And they saw in Jesus' way that he leveled the playing field. He didn't seem to choose favorites. Everyone was a child of God. Everyone was made in the image of God just as everyone here is and everyone whom you ever will meet is made in the image of God. He saw that and he saw the potential within each one to be a person of God. Our lives spread the gambit of background and different life experiences, just like these Marys do, just like any of the people in Scripture do. But God sees within us our potential, our possibility. He sees within us who we are and loves us as we are, but never leaves us that way if we encounter him and embrace his life for us. I honestly believe God has this incredible imagination. And in his incredible imagination, this divine, eternal imagination, he sees our full potential. Whether or not we ever even get close to achieving it, he sees the possibility of it. And he tries to love us into it our whole lives. It's part of being a part of the church so that we might be formed and encouraged and strengthened in faith together, that we might not only worship together, but learn and grow together. That's part of why Sunday school time or any of our Bible studies are important. That's how we continue to grow in faith and learning and understanding, as well as passing that along to others. God continues to call us wherever we are in life, no matter we're supporting cast or out front um, and loud, to put our lives, to put our voices, to put our everything to use for his kingdom good. Because he's put that within each of us, the ability to do so. And he calls us, calls us to service. He calls all of us to humble service, to submit our lives to his and to follow his will and way. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in our lives. 
now and always. Thank you for seeing all of us and all that is within each of us and all the possibilities that lay dormant within us. Lord, you call us to fullness in yourself. No matter where we are in life or what stage or age, what season we might be in, it doesn't matter to you our, our status in society. or in our homes, for that matter. You see yours. Those who are also created in your image. And you call us to yourself. You call us to follow your Son, and as we follow your Son, you call us to embrace the more that comes with it. The more blessings, also the more responsibilities. You call us to become more fully whom you have created us and call us to be. So Lord, help us to follow the examples of these women and of so many others in Scripture and in our lives whose lives reveal your divine nature that show us the living God is present and active who lead us to your son and help us to become his friend and student and recognize that he is our Savior and Lord. Lord, we give thanks for all of life's blessings. And then in the midst of our blessings, we also recognize the need that surrounds us or maybe that's within us. And we lay it all at your feet. Lord, we ask that you guide us and direct us, that you extend healing and wholeness, forgiveness and mercy. And as such, we trust that you are doing that already. Lord, we do give thanks. May our lives be filled with gratitude for what you have done for us, are doing and will do for us trusting in your goodness and your greatness. And we give thanks most of all for your Son, our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let us now pray the prayer that he has taught his followers to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.